you have all heard of that old taboo, never ask a woman her age. Well, I was kind of thinking about that this week because, well, as you know, last week in the uh, book of Timothy, I preached on the proper adornment for women. And, and by the way, uh, someone came up to me and said, oh, I want to tell you what their old pastor told them in regard to adornment and even makeup. If your barn needs painting, you better paint it. So that's, uh, there's a piece of information. And now this week, I'm going to be talking about the proper role of women. And I'm thinking to myself, if I haven't offended the women by the end of this week, I'm going to go around asking all the women how old you are. Or I found out there's a few other questions that work. Or these are, these are things that you should not ask women. Like, is that your natural hair color? That's one of them. Um, are you sure you want to eat that? Okay. Um, is that what you're wearing? Or this, this is probably, I don't know, this goes to the top. Would you like my mother to teach you how to cook? Well, I jest, and I want to say something from the bottom of my heart. Being a pastor of a Bible-believing church, this Bible-believing church, it is an honor to preach the word unashamed because the believers here, both men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, are mature and want the teaching of the word, yea, have already embraced the teaching of the word and are already in agreement before I even say it. And I want to say thank you and say it's an honor to be the pastor here. Now with that, I do want to move on to our text for today, the proper role of women in church. And there were a couple of words that were mentioned in the scripture that was read. One of them was to remain in quietness. One of them was to be in submission, um, not to mention the fact that Paul does not allow a woman to teach and then does not allow a woman to usurp the authority of men. Now, let me give a little bit of the background of what was going on at that time, or at least that in which we can think went on or perceive went on, as said maybe even in history, to maybe explain why and how. And, and, and so let, let me take, for example, Corinth. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he wrote, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He was talking about gifts and women. Why would he say that? Paul presented this statement in the context of the church at that time. The church service is not to be an overly emotional, chaotic experience because God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And, and being a God of peace and tranquility, that is 
the atmosphere to study the word, that it can penetrate from your mind to your heart to your feet. But what was going on in the Corinthian church was something else. Many were disrupting the service. And again, if you think about it, the service was in a home church, in someone's home. Maybe even the woman's home. You've come into my home, and this is what you're teaching? Many were disrupting the service with respect to the misuse of spiritual gifts such as tongues and prophesying. And so there were things being blurted out. Paul not only had to give rules for the service, but also an admonition to women about their behavior in the church. Some of these were women who were doing this. I would imagine that at times there's men who do such things and they must be dealt with as well. But there was something that, that caused Paul to write about this. Perhaps that was how it was really becoming such a big problem with the women. Evidently, the same thing was happening in the church at Ephesus. He talked and gave this letter to Pastor Timothy how to conduct business of the church and the conduct of the church. Now, he's already talked about improper behavior of men. You remember in verse 8 of chapter 2, he said, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And usually when you read a statement like that, it's going on in that church. That's why he's saying it or it's going on in other churches. It's something that needs to be said. And so to men, he said that. And by the way, we're really not done with men. Um, we're going to be spending quite a bit in talking about the qualifications, yes, of elders. But let me tell you something. These are Christian qualifications for men. You don't wait till you become an elder to work on these things. You can become an elder because these things are already worked in your life. So we're going to be talking about all of these things. And then he talked about the pro improper adornment of women. And this was going on. And some of it was very indecent. And it was very similar to what even prostitutes were wearing. And then there seemed to be, on the other side of that, there seemed to be it was a show. It was a show who could be the most talked about with the most expensive jewelry and things like that. This is not what is to happen in the church. And now Paul is going to deal with this problem, with the problem which is going to really tell us about the proper role of women in the church. Now, before I go any further, I, I do want to just make a, a major statement. So when he talks about the role of women in the church, we know that this is very controversial outside the church and even inside Christendom. And usually the biggest argument that was cultural in Paul's day. What we're going to see here is it has nothing to do with culture. Paul argues from creation and the divine design. And I'll be honest with you, you can bark all you want about God's design. 
You can bark about how unfair it is, but you will never have the joy of the Lord until you submit to him. To him. And by the way, something I do always say, whenever I talk about submission, the truth of the matter is, whenever I talk about submission, I first of all point out that one of the chief characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ was that he was a servant and submissive to the will of God. Every one of us will pray, Lord, make me like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then you better expect humility and submission. Submission for men to the Lord Jesus Christ to do what we ought to do regardless how difficult it is. Submission to our authorities, Romans 13. Well, I don't like the authorities. Submission to our authorities, Romans 13. Submission to even the church. Huh, well, this is, this is 2023. We don't do that kind of thing. Well, as a Bible-believing church, we're not here to cater to culture. We're here to follow the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ laid out in his word to glorify him. And then as a byproduct, we have a joy of the Lord. So with that, let me go ahead and read the scripture again. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. The whole thought ends in verse 15, but I did not think I could cover it. Um, in fact, I'm very thankful that I'm here this morning uh, did, I, I could not study for the, until yesterday is the first time I was able to feel well enough to study. And anyway, God gives grace. Uh, although if I wouldn't have been able to preach this sermon today, I mean, how bad would that have been, you know? But seriously, it says a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Now I will indeed, I will indeed go through this and I will try to explain these. And I do think that once we understand the proper biblical God-centered explanation, it will go well. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain, and he says it again, quiet, and here's his argument, not from culture, but from creation. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Let's pray. Father, as we embark on your word, Lord, this isn't the only difficult text perhaps to apply. Lord, the truth is every text can be difficult to apply. When we see it's a besetting sin, when we, we have a struggle, when just our, our sinful nature raises his ugly head, oh God, I thank you that you've given us a new nature, and I thank you that you've given us a hope of the eradication of our old. Father, would you teach us this morning, and again, I am thankful that I am preaching to the choir this morning. I am preaching to those who, if I didn't say it as it was written in scripture, I would have some splaining to do. 
Father, we ask now that you give us that wisdom. Help me, keep me from error. Give me wisdom. Give me gentleness and graciousness and truth. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to, having given the background of some of the reasons why this was said, and in fact, let me go ahead and even read from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33 through 35, just to kind of let you know what was going on in some of the churches, enough that something had to be said. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Looking at our verse this morning, we'll begin with verse 11. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Now, I want to mention one more thing about culture. Before women or anyone else wants to just marry culture, let me give a little bit of history of culture. When it came to women, this verse is actually sort of a liberation. What? He said women must receive instruction or literally women must keep on learning. Just to say that women can learn and should learn was a new radical thought. Respectable Greek women were kept in seclusion with not much advantage for learning nor expected to learn. First century Judaism did not hold women in high esteem. Though not barred from the synagogue, Jewish women were not encouraged to learn. But Paul at least states that women were to learn. They were there to learn. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But years ago, there was a movie out uh, that starred Barbara Streisand, and it was called Yentl. And Yentl was a movie where she was a young girl and loved the word of God, the Torah. She was a Jew and grew up in a Jewish family, but they would not allow girls to come and learn. And so she pinned up her hair and she pretended she was a boy and she went and learned the Torah. Now, you can imagine all kinds of drama in there and out, and I don't even remember all of it, but I do remember the line, or actually, I, I saw the line. She was disgruntled saying, you know, about these boys getting to learn. She said, they're talking about life, the mysteries of the universe, she complains, and I'm learning how to tell herring from a carp. That is the idea of the background. And Paul says, Literally, now he's going to qualify it, but you must keep on learning. So Christianity was a liberation. It was for them to learn and grow in the Lord. It will talk about their behavior and the type and the way. And I'll explain about all of these things. And I, I think I'm even going to deal with, you know, 
Well, what about in our own Bible studies where we have a Bible study on Wednesday night and we open it up for questions? And is a woman allowed to talk at that time? And I believe yes. I believe what we're really talking about is a disruption. Like if I was preaching right now and somebody just yelled something out. I know one time I was preaching and you have to understand the person. She's a sweet sister in the Lord and she, a godly Christian, but I was preaching, you know, I don't do it every week, but I was preaching on submission in that church. And I was giving an illustration of like an old homemaker's description of a woman and what she had to do. And she took the paper, crumbled it up, and threw it at me while I was preaching. We did not excommunicate her. And, but she will, let, she will giggle every time we talk about that. But if someone were to exclaim right now and start yelling things out, I would be looking at Dave, Tim, Mike, you need to take care of this disruption so that we have an atmosphere. Now, that could be a man, but it could also be a woman. And it seems to me if it was done in the woman's home of the early church, as they were church homes, you wonder if she didn't feel she had a right to say what she believed and what she didn't. Finally, Paul had to lay down the law and said, no, you learn in submission and quietness and I will give you the reason, and the reason is because divine design. By the way, it is, a, it is a command here. It's in the imperative. You must, and you must keep on doing this. And let me just stop at this point and just say this. That's why it's a joy to be here. The people, you people love the word, and you want the word. And you talk about the word, and you give the word. And so it's just a joy. And so uh, I remember even in like, uh, like the Greek classes, we would talk about the word. And many of the great comments came from women. Uh, the light turned on for them as they saw the applications from, from the Greek. And they made comments, and it was good. And, and, and there's many a time after a sermon that, that I'll, I'll, I'll talk, and a woman will come up to me, and she'll say something about how the Lord, you know, uh, taught her through that passage and, and, and then we'll talk. And, and after I'm done, I, I'm going to myself, gee, I wish I would have had that conversation before I started preaching. That would have been pretty good for me to say. And so I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's in the church, in, in the church um, service per se. And now that doesn't mean that while, while it's going on and while there's teaching in the Bible study that there ought to be those things. No, those things shouldn't be there, the, the crying out of things. And I will say right now, we'll get it from the get-go. If this is the God, word of God and it is not cultural, then you're not even allowed to have women pastors and you're not allowed to have women teach men. That's, that's where we're going with this. Now, as... He goes on to qualify it. He's going to say with quietness. And as you hear these, as you hear these descriptions, for me it was like, okay, yeah, it really is. It really is the idea that, that many of them were disruptive and causing problem. He says they, a woman must quietly receive. And of course, the the word for quiet uh, it means to be still or rest or calm. Okay, but it also can give you the idea, get quiet. Don't be troublesome. It kind of reminds me of what 
we would say to our children or what our parents said to us. Stop it. Be quiet. Sit down and be quiet. That's the idea. In 2 Thessalonians, um, uh, I'll not have you turn there, but I'll read it. It says, now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Quiet meaning do what they're supposed to do, but don't cause any more trouble. And that's what we have here. And what you see in the Greek is this is an emphasis. It almost literally begins with the word quiet. It actually is the word woman first. Woman, a woman in quietness. And of course the verb and the direct object are all turned around with the Greek language and that's all right. Um, but it shows you what is emphatic. Quietness, quietness, quiet down. And then he says it again. He then says it in verse 12, but remain quiet. So I, I, I think we're talking a lot about that. But it's not just this scripture that talks about quietness. One of the scriptures that you, you may have been asking, why hasn't he talked about 1 Peter yet? Well, I guess I was waiting for the right opportunity, and I think it's now. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Evidently, there were things going on even in Peter's neck of the woods. And he has to write this, and I'm taking it from the middle of the context. Verse 3 says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. Sound familiar? That's just what Paul talked about. And, and I love the beautiful way he says it, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. One of the things that we should never, ever lose sight of, whether we're talking about someone else's situation or ours, we are to live our lives in the presence of the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's an unfairness to me, or so I think. It doesn't matter if it's an unfairness to someone else or not, or so I think. What really matters is what God thinks is precious, what pleases God. And if being quiet pleases God, then being quiet I will be. And of course, this quiet spirit would be a spirit. You would, you would certainly, uh, looking at the context, you would certainly understand that he is talking about husbands and wives and the wife being submissive to the husband. And again, I don't think it means that you can't say a word. You can't say a word to the husband and, and that, no, no. And a wise husband will ask his wife what she thinks. A wise husband will do that. But when the husband says, no, I, I don't think that's the right way. I'm going to pray about it. And then when I believe whatever way God leads me, that's what I'm going to do. That's the end of the discussion. Now comes the quiet heart. 
Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, even if my husband, in my opinion, is making a mistake, at the end of the day, I'm going to please you. And I will please my husband. Rather than me not being quiet and trying to take the situation like taking a bull by the horn and wrecking everything. That's what we see here with this word quietness. But it's also in submissiveness. And, and there's such a key on submiss submission. Well, as there ought to be, and there ought to be a key on male spiritual leadership. When I go through marital counseling with premarital counseling and postmarital counseling, I mean, you know, mid, I mean, it's the same principles. When, when I go through them, we go back and we look at the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But when Adam and Eve sinned, up until that time, I believe he had the headship. She was submissive, only it was great. He would come home and she would say, honey, after your long day in the garden, why don't you sit down here and relax? Let me get your slippers. Okay, don't crumple up any paper, ladies. And let me get you the newspaper. And he would say, as a loving spiritual leader, oh, my word, no. You've been home alone with those kids all day. I will take the responsibilities from here on in, and, and, but not until you tell me everything that happened in your day. When the fall came, that was the end of that. And without going into all of the details in the scriptures, and we've done that. We've done that from the pulpit numerous times. There's a scripture that suggests that her sinful nature was for her husband's authority. If it's going to get done right, I'm going to do it. Not that that's necessarily wrong, but it just isn't right. <laughs> and then the husband, it says that he will rule over his wife. Well, I thought he had the authority. Yeah, but that's not what we mean. He's going to rule. It's my way or the highway. And now you have conflict in your marriage. And so it, it, it doesn't surprise me that, that, that submissiveness is going to be brought up. Key in on that. You want a good marriage? Key in on that. You say, well, what about the men? Well, wait till you see chapter 3. We're going to talk about men. You need to step up and be spiritual leaders. And I've, I've often said, too, sometimes the reason why women are chomping at the bit to get things done is because the man won't step up spiritually to do it. So ladies, show your men how to properly behave by listening to this sermon because they're going to get it. The word submission is, comes from the Greek word hupotasso. We talked about it. It means to arrange underneath. It's a military term. You know, the, the sergeant and then the, the private and there's an arrangement there of chain of command now. When we talk about husband and wife, this does not mean you, you treat your wife like a drill sergeant. You know, there are some consequences for behavior like that. 
It, it, but it, it really means to put yourself under one's authority. You know, a man has to do this. When a man goes to work for an employee, let's face it, not all employees know everything. I'm talking employers. Not every employer knows everything. And sometimes the employer know, thinks he knows everything, but you happen to know more. And that's not saying you don't have an opportunity to suggest something, but maybe, maybe sometimes you don't. What are you to do? Live in the presence of God. Live to please God. The business may go under, but you have pleased God. And so this is what we see. But now we're talking about in the church. Women are to learn, must learn, the privilege of learning, but it has to be an, uh, an attitude of submissiveness. Of what? Of the authority of the man. The headship of the man, which is not cultural, but it is indeed from the design of creation. We're going to see that. And by the way, scary as it is, it says in total submission. Uh, of course, we're not ever, ever talking, whether we're talking about the church or whether we're talking about wives and home, we're never, ever talking about, well, if you're asked to do something that violates a principle of Scripture, you have to do it. Never talking about that at all. And, and I guess while I'm still on the, on the subject, when, when you think of what will influence a man, and I'm thinking of wives and husbands, what, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, right now I'm thinking of this, the newlyweds here. So you didn't know you were coming to marriage counseling today. When a woman is submissive, and at the end of the day, when the final decision is made, she says, okay, and she leaves it between the husband and God, one of the interesting things that happened right away, they're, they're not fighting anymore about it. She says, well, you're the head of the home. You can make the final decisions between you and God. The man is like, what did you say? And then he's like, you mean I'm responsible now? What do you think we should do? <laughs> Or he will get alone and pray with God. He will realize this is upon his shoulders. For to that he was called. For to that he was designed to be that one who has the responsibility on his shoulders of spiritual leadership. Loving, let me add it, loving. Loving spiritual leadership. Now, as we are thinking of this in verse 11, and we have the word submissive, it seems to me verse 12 is kind of going to explain that. It's going to, it's going to say, yep, that's exactly right. It, it is talking about the authority of man and the headship of man, and I want to talk about that, but we've got to get through verse 12. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Man, where's the time? And then he says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, first of all, let me explain what it means, and then let me explain what it doesn't mean. This is a timeless principle in which God designed and is coming forward by the mouth of an apostle. 
an authoritative apostle. It, written down in the inerrant scriptures, it's the timeless principles that men are to be the teachers and the spiritual leaders of the church and in their home. And fellas, how's that going? And because of that, because this is timeless, it was by God's design, we as a Bible-believing church don't look at this as culture and say, well, you know, times are different. Time has nothing to do with it. Creation from design. And so it, 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 this is what it is. And by the way, it has nothing to do with any kind of derogatory comment about woman's intelligence or woman's spiritual status, which, by the way, she does not have to go through her husband to go to the Lord. And in many cases, she may be the one, only one growing in that home and not the husband. Still not the spiritual leader yet. Still not, still not the spiritual leader, though. And so this is what it does mean, that because he's given this place, he needs to do it. And praise the Lord for, for the men who do step up to do this in their own homes with devotions and even willing to be a part of that at the church. Praise the Lord for that. But what it doesn't mean is that the woman can't do anything. This does not apply to women teaching children. And, and this is a joy. This shouldn't be, well, guess there's no one else for us to teach. I guess we'll teach the children. That's, that's not it at all. What a gracious joy. I talked in Sunday school about the joy of the Lord of those, of those older folks in child evangelism fellowship. You, you almost never see such excitement about evangelism as you look and talk to these ladies. They love the children and they love giving them the gospel. And so it's not something that should be rated. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with men teaching children. Appreciated comments about that. But it says, and it comes from Timothy's own example, in 2 Timothy chapter 3.15, Paul writes, And that from childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And at the end of the day, if there is no one to teach the children, I'm, I'm, I'm closing down church and I'm going back and I'm teaching. No, probably not. I think maybe my duty would be here. But I would maybe preach about that. And so we see from the same example that, that women do have a place and, and they are the nurturers. We're, let's talk about divine design again. The nurturers. And you know, fathers and, and the way they act with their children and mothers, the way they act with the children is sometimes very difficult and different. You know, a little boy comes in, he skins his knees, and he's crying and sobbing and sobbing. And finally, the father says, all right, all right, son, that's enough. That's enough. And so what does the little boy do? He goes over to his mom, and he sits on her lap, and he starts to cry again. And she soothes him. She's a nurturer. And you think about the precious truth of nurturing and teaching them the gospel. And then this doesn't apply to women teaching other women. That's certainly permissible in the church. It's certainly permissible for, for mothers to teach their daughters. In fact, that's talked about in the scriptures. 
There's plenty of opportunities. You just cannot teach men because of God's design and headship. And by the way, while we're still talking about this, when I say that women can teach other women in the church, let's not dismiss the idea of that is if you are teaching according to doctrine. And by the way, that goes for men too. It's not just because you've become a member, you can teach, you you have to sign a doctrinal statement that you agree with so that we know you're not going to teach anything different from what we believe the Bible teaches. She has to be that way, and so must men. And then it's the idea of not exercising authority over men. Well, I guess maybe before we go on, this would mean then that women cannot be in the pulpit to teach men. That has become popular in the last decade or two. At one time it was not. But now basically when you introduce yourself, hi, I'd like to introduce pastors Daryl Hilbert and Pastor Darlene. That will not happen. She, she would deserve it. She knows enough. But, but it's not right. It's not right. And, and it's a Bible-believing church. It's not a half Bible-believing church. We believe half of what we say or said in the scriptures and the other half we don't want to. And it's this idea about not exercising authority over a man because it's been divinely appointed. And, you know, in some cases it's like, I can't believe he's been appointed. You know, can't believe that men are, can't believe that men are in control. I, I hear what some of the ladies' jokes are, you know, sometimes. I just pray that men's Bible studies don't turn into discussing derogatory things about their wives and ladies' Bible studies discussing derogatory things about their husbands because that would be wrong. That would not be what Peter talked about, that hidden beauty. I want to say something too. When it says it, 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 that women are not to exercise authority over a man, what do you do if a church or a group of elders or a group of men relinquishes their authority to a woman to let her preach. What do you think? No. No, there's there's no caveat like that in the scriptures. There's no condition like that in the scriptures. When God commands something, it's supposed to be followed. There's no condition that's added to it. So at that point, those men are wrong. They're relinquishing their authority to let a woman do that. No. And I have heard that question many, many times. I don't hear that question anymore because it's, it's gone. There's so many women preachers. Seemed to me, it seemed to me, if a woman was a truly godly woman and knew the word of God, it wouldn't even be an issue. She wouldn't even be pushing to be in the pulpit. Well, if I haven't got myself into trouble yet, well, I'll still try not to. Verse 13. Why? 
why? Men aren't all that great. And, and I, I, I want to say that I, when I first became a Christian, I did attend Bible study taught by the pastor's wife at, at, at this church. It was a good church, good Bible-believing church. And it was a college and career. And it was one of the best Bible studies I went to until somewhere along the line, I, I saw this in Scripture and talked to some people about it and felt that I, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be going to that class. There's a way in which my heart was broken. I loved what she did with the scriptures. Now, I could talk with her one-on-one -on -one and had on many occasions, but I just I couldn't go to this, this Sunday school class. And I wasn't there to cause problems and tell everybody else they were wrong, but I, I stopped doing that. I stopped doing that. But, but it wasn't because she couldn't teach. She wasn't equal to a man. Well, why? Why shouldn't she have been in there? Verse 13. For, that's the word, let me explain. It was Adam who was created first and then Eve. So again, this is not cultural, but this is the argument you hear from everyone who doesn't want to follow these, oh, that was cultural, that was then. Okay, yes, that was then. That was at the time of creation when God decided everything. Yes, that was a time back then, but he decided it for all time, not just until our wonderful society came along and was smarter than God and decided to change culture. So let's take a look at this. So there was this divine precedent. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and then 8. Now, was it just the luck of the draw that Adam was created first? It was God's design. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, Eve wasn't created at this time. It says, verse 8, Then the Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So we have the man. We have the garden. And then we have a command in verses 16 and 17. God gives the command to Adam. He's the head. He's the headship. He's the first. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So it's to the man now. He's, he's, he's cultivating the leadership of the man. And then in verse 18... He said, I'm going to make a helper for you, a suitable helper. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
suitable, meaning that she was similar to him. Helper, meaning that she was going to help him in his endeavors. This is what Paul is talking about. Now, we may not be happy. We may, would we even want to say that God made a mistake? I mean, I, I get it. There's sometimes that we as leaders, whether in our own home or in the church, that maybe we, you know, we pray, we try to make the best decision, but there will be those who sometimes will question it. And the only thing is, is that what I've learned from becoming an elder when I wasn't an elder is, you know what, you don't really know all that you think you know. You don't really know all of the situation. And sometimes situations are dealt with because of dealing with everyone involved, not just one person and one person's wishes. So it's, it's a big deal. God's creation of Adam first constituted Adam's headship. Adam's headship did not begin after the fall from creation. Some people say that. Well, it wasn't until they fell and that God had to give one the other. One, one the, the headship? No, it happened from the beginning. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul's argument is. Adam's headship constituted his position of authority. And then it says, and then he created Eve. Then he created Eve. And what a spectacle she is. I, 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 cannot, I cannot tell you the, how much I am so thankful for my wife. I cannot tell you the special person, how much of a special person she is. You know, my wife put me through Bible college. My wife worked and put me through Bible college. Never complained. Well, then Eve. Now, Eve was created. Now, spiritually, they're equal status. No question. Both of them, Scripture says, were created in the image of God. But we also see in Scripture that Eve was created for Adam, for Adam's sake, not vice versa. In 1 Corinthians eleven nine, for indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Eve was created to be a suitable helper for man, to help man in his endeavors. She was his helper because he was the head. And this is where submission comes from. Not because she's a servant and a slave and the, the worst of the worst. Adam's headship constituted Eve's subordinate role from creation, and again, not after the fall. Adam's headship constituted Eve's submission. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. It's still there. It's not cultural. It's the way God designed. One writes this, a woman's subordinate role did not result after the fall as a cultural chauvinistic corruption of God's perfect design. 
Rather, God established her role as part of his original creation. So this is what we see. So based on God's divine design, man has the authority and spiritual leadership over women in the church. But again, let me just say a few words about that. Again, the key word, especially when it comes to husbands, is the word love, loving leadership. So when we do premarital counseling, we spend one entire session going through 1 Corinthians 13. They both need to use agape love in their marriage, but it especially, it is for the man. Now you remember this because not too long ago, we taught on Ephesians 5.25. And it begins with husbands, what? You must keep on loving your wives. What kind of love? Agape love. Self-sacrificial love. Why? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the kind of love that we are to have. And he goes on from there and he explains, and I'm not going to go through all of that, but I do want to quickly go through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's love, and it's for all of us, every believer. But if we're going to apply it to a husband or we're going to apply it to spiritual leaders, don't think you're here in a leadership position as God's gift to the church. That's wrong. Love is patient. And I don't know why he had to add anything else because I find myself working on this one 24-7. But it's right. And, and the idea of patient is you have a, you can have a short fuse or a long fuse, okay? If you're patient, your fuse is long. Some of us don't even have a fuse. Just as soon as the match gets near, it goes off. It's, it's not going off. It's being patient, being patient. And I, I have to be honest with you, I, I've, I've had people be impatient with me in leadership position against me. I mean, they're in a leadership position and they were impatient with me. It didn't work very well. Didn't, didn't make me do a better job and just made me more nervous and it, it just, you know, made me want to retaliate. But, I, but I, I often think of my stepfather who was about the most patient man that I've ever known. Uh, he would have me help him. He would make me help him. And I'm so glad he did, like if there was a construction work. And I would go and I would make the mistake. You know, well, I, I would do it. And I am like so nervous because I am going to get it now. And he would just say, oh, well, what are we going to do now? And, and he, he would express it in such a way that he, he's made mistakes so many times. And so that's not the way that you go at it is to just blow up. Is what, what are we going to do now? How, how are we going to fix this? And it just was incredible. Of course, he was the one that would say, he would say about himself, he says, I don't know, I cut it twice and it was still too short. 
but but I, I think of I think of a real example of someone who was patient. And so we look at this. Love is kind. Okay, put those two together. You don't need the rest. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. And some of those words mean you're just, you're, you're full of hot air. You're just a, a puff of air. Take a pin and there's nothing there. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Wow. Wow, you show me a couple that has that down and I'll show you a couple that's getting along well. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. And you know what the word, the word means? Puts up with. That's it. I'm done. I can't put up with this anymore. I can't put up with her anymore. Love puts up with her. Love puts up with him. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So this is the other side of it, of the leadership. This isn't carte blanche for men to act any way they want. And I am told by women that when a man does this and leads by this, they will be eating out of his hand. And I dare say that I say, if you find a woman who is submissive to her husband, giving him the final say, yes, has a right to say something, absolutely. But at the end of the day, the final decision, and she's, well, honey, you're, you're the head of the home. I'm, I'm just going to trust in, in, in you and the Lord, but I'm just going to trust in you you will have him eating out of your hand. But this is all in reference to the church. And so this is the role of the church, how it's supposed to be the church. It's the, the same divine design comes into the church, and, 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 and it, it doesn't mean to be unfair. It's not derogatory, but this is the way that it needs to be. And, and maybe I'm biased, but I think it's working well here. I think, I think, I think the ladies would all tell you this. And I, I think they're not asking to, to preach a sermon. They're not asking to teach men. And it works very, very well. And it's the same thing that after, the Bible, after our Bible study on Wednesday night, I, women can pray with men. This doesn't mean that they can't pray. We find the early church together, men and women praying together, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And so we, we could do that when we ask for any questions or uh, 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 as far as I'm concerned, I think it's very permissible that if a woman has a legitimate question, she can ask it, an insight or something like that. Now, she doesn't want to go overboard. And at some point there may be, well, I think you need to, you know, go home and ask your husband. Which leads me to one final point. So when I think of what I'm doing here from the pulpit, Men, you are my number one target because I know that you're the spiritual leader of your home and you're supposed to go home and you're supposed to teach your family. So let me help you. I will try to teach you from the scriptures, but then you got to go and teach. 
And as this all works together, I think there's peace, not chaos, peace in the church and peace, not chaos in the home. And I'll just say one other thing, and we'll pick this up next week. But sometimes the idea of prophetesses in the scriptures present a problem. Is this a double standard on God's part? Should there be a little wiggle room then of the New Testament? Well, we'll bring that up next week. We will. But I, I, do, I do say this. In fact, if you look at your notes, I, I thought maybe that I would have gotten to this and gotten this far, but I didn't. But I, I will just say this of about prophetesses, just to kind of let you know, we'll, we'll go over this. Um, by the way, there was only seven female prophets between the Old and the New Testament. Out of 52 male prophets that are named, there was more than 52, but 52 of them were named. Uh, out of the 52, seven of them were female prophets or prophetesses. Miriam, Deborah, Isaiah's wife, Huldah, who we just went over on Wednesday night, Noadiah, Anna, the New Testament, and the daughters of Philip. It is very interesting. So the function of a prophetess would be to receive revelation from God. That is what a prophet does or a prophetess of one degree or another. But there were some differences. First of all, it was a rare occasion that we have these prophetesses. It was only a rare occasion. There must have been some extenuating circumstance. And when you look at them, for the most part, they weren't public ministries like a Jeremiah, like an Isaiah. Most of these were private consultations, except maybe for the case of Deborah, but that still is a work in progress for our study here. Thirdly, no woman prophet, prophetess, ever authored a book of scripture. Why? Is God a woman hater? Are we woman haters? No. It just falls in line with what we've been talking about, the divine design, the headship, spiritual leadership of men. There were times when there were unusual circumstances. There were extenuating circumstances. And it seems that that's when this happened. Is this a double standard on God's part, telling us now in Timothy that they cannot teach a man and, and they can't ex exercise authority over men? No. And I got a great quote by John Calvin. We'll read that. Many of these, or some of these, were a result of a lack of male leadership. And so this is what we see. So, Yes, it was allowed, and it, was, it did happen, but it was rare. And it wasn't like they were going around like the Old Testament prophets teaching, preaching, and writing scripture, or the New Testament apostles, uh, you know, teaching, preaching, and writing of scripture. It wasn't like that at all. And so what we find out that the Bible is consistent with all of these things, of all of these arguments you're going to hear from people about why it, today it's fine, it's acceptable, just doesn't hold up to the argument from Scripture. 
But as we conclude, I've got to say, there are so many places that, a wom- that women are so necessary in the church, and we see it happening all the time. We see them as prayer warriors. There are times when I need special prayer, and there are times when I will go to specific people, and sometimes they are women, because I know they're going to pray. You think of the many other ministries. And in fact, he talked about this in the last verse, did he not? Did he not talk about in the last verse there in Timothy? You remember? You remember how he talked about the adornment? He said, but rather the adornment should be kind of like Peter by means of good works. And there are all of these things that a woman does as good works and has a niche in the church. And there are all of these things that she has that Peter describes of the hidden beauty in the heart. And I believe it is a beauty. I believe it is a hidden beauty. Because the truth of the matter is the character of Christ, one of the main characters of the Lord Jesus Christ, characteristics was his submission to the will of God. And I'm so glad that he did. And by the way, he was God. God the Son who took on humanity to submit himself completely, putting, the pre, putting all of the prestige and the prerequisites aside. He still was God. But he put them all aside so that he might come and do the will of God. If you're a woman and you emulate that submission, you are emulating the beauty of Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. And again, I I thank you, Lord, that really there's a sense in which I am preaching to this church, but I'm not preaching to this church because this church, well, truth of the matter is this church helped grow me many, many years ago before I was a pastor. And both the teaching and the example of women taught me and gave me the example from then on that when I would become a pastor, I would know how a church ought to be and how it ought to look. And I thank you for them. But I think perhaps, Lord, the strongness in my words, and I pray it wasn't too strong. Father, that is for those who want to argue and want to argue about the validity of the word of God. And it's hard for me to be quiet about that. Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you cause us to live in your presence and seek to please you and be submissive to you in all things? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.